A lot of land comes with a lot of work. The new Kubota MX Series has a lot to offer, including the versatility to mow, move hay bales, grade roads, and clear brush and snow. An optional spacious cab to keep you comfortable in any conditions. A front-end loader with excellent loader lift capacity, hydrostatic or gear transmission options, and affordably priced. Visit your local Kubota dealer today. Burke Equipment, a Kubota elite dealer. On the web at BurkeEquipment.com. Hi, this is Kevin McCullough. Thanks for listening to the Christian Outlook podcast, where we cover today's issues from a perspective that honors your Christian faith. Our podcast is brought to you through a partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I trust you'll enjoy. I'm so delighted to have with me in studio Zach Elliott. He is the co-author of Now I See, an invitation to life to the full. Now, what does that mean? We hear about abundant life in Scripture And he makes the point that our souls long for a life that is full and flourishing. But I wonder how many of us could say with confidence and joy, my life is full and flourishing. And this happens to be the condition of the world. Well, this book is an invitation to life to the full. Uh, And through story and metaphor, ancient wisdom, modern understanding, he invites, he and his co-author, invites us on a journey to understand that flourishing is not about circumstance. And we so often link how we're doing to circumstance, but rather it's about relationship and you can guess where that relationship is going. Well, I'm delighted to uh, to talk about it here today with Zach Elliott. He began his career with the Oregon State Police as a forensic evidence technician. You could have been on television these days. Mm-hmm. He then served as a church planner and a pastor before launching V3, a ministry committed to sharing the gospel and loving the church. He is a husband and father, a speaker and author, a thought leader, engaging the world with a powerful message of hope and restoration in Christ. He has a contagious love of life. He finds beauty in the most unlikely places. And today he joins us to talk about his book, Now I See, an invitation to life to the full. Zach Elliott, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for welcoming me in. I love it. Thank you. Well, this is home to you. And I know you have moved away to Florida and ministry has called you there, but this really is home for you. It is. And it's so good to be here. We've had such a great uh, last couple of weeks being in Oregon. So every second I can be here. here. (laughs) Well, welcome home. We're glad you're here. Well, you write in this book, what is really a journey. It's not just a story. It's a journey that begins where we all begin. And Uh, The thing that struck me is that it not only applies to those who are outside of the Christian faith, but all of us begin in what you describe, uh, and as Plato described, sort of a cave that we imagine is the whole world and reality uh, as we know it, and we imagine that that's all there is. Talk a little bit about your journey of faith and how you escaped um, the limitations of um, our understanding of uh, what life is into a relationship with Christ. Yeah. I think that for me, Plato did such a good job of describing this really transition that has to take place uh, to come into uh, to the fullness of truth. And so in, in the allegory of the cave, these prisoners are, are trapped and they're shackled and they see only in part. And there's an invitation to see in full, but it, it requires the risk of letting go of what you know and risking stepping into a little bit more mystery in something that you don't know. And as somebody who grew up in the church, I grew up in a Missouri Synod Lutheran church. And so I was immersed in uh, a conversation of faith. I had been through catechism and had those conversations. And I could answer questions about faith uh, quickly. You could ask me anything and I could recite the Apostles' Creed or Mm -hmm. talk about this or that in our faith. But it was, I say we get it, but we don't have it. And I was one of those people who could say these things that I believed 
but they were kind of existed out there in abstraction. And it was a journey of almost recognizing that I was lost inside the church um, until I came face to face with that. I, I describe it in the in the book as the voice that keeps calling you mm-hmm. and that voice that John 9, the man born blind, heard when Jesus spoke to him. And for me, it took me um, kind of growing up in the church, but being willing to let the Spirit of God and the Scriptures call, call me closer and closer and closer until I was before Jesus and really listening to his claim and his question, do you believe, do you want to see? And I came to that point and said, yes, and it began a journey of really recognizing that he is who he says he is, and his offer of life to the full is there, but it's found in him personally. Yeah, yeah and the implications of that are just tremendous, but we may not appreciate that until we've made that uh, connection. I like the phrase that you use, lost in the church, because many of us come to sincere um, faith in Christ, and we we have a relationship through Jesus Christ, our sins have been forgiven, and yet there's a limit to our understanding of what that abundant life, that fullness of life that we are called to means. We have our own culture within the church that sometimes prevents us from breaking free and experiencing that relationship that this book really calls us to. Why yes. do you think that's the case? I think, you know, at first there's well intention uh, there to provide structure. And as a pastor, I've been a pastor for 15 years. And so uh, we want to teach. And so we teach via the head level And that's a good thing. And we're well-intentioned in wanting to disciple and guide people uh, to the truth. But we can never forget that the truth, there's an incarnational nature to truth. And that invites the relational side. And there's risk there from a pastoral side. Mm -hmm. We have to have a higher trust in Jesus, that the same God who finds us and found Paul and finds those who through his spirit, through dreams, visions, God is at work. And we have to trust that, Jesus, that if we introduce people to him, that he will, he will provide them. He'll open their eyes and he'll give them that spiritual insight, that spiritual vision to see him. And that's really what must take place. We can guide them to him. We can use the scripture for teaching, correcting, rebuking, for bringing them rightly to him. But the spirit of God opens our eyes and he allows us to see who he really is. I think it's our human nature. When we come to faith in Christ, we sort of continue in the same vein that we've always known, what's familiar to us and what's natural in the flesh. And we don't really realize how dramatic the call is on our life and what he's calling us to. And it's so different and so much broader and fuller than we could ever imagine that sometimes we are comfortable in that cave, if you will with what's familiar to us, and we don't break free because we still imagine, as we did before we came to Christ, that we can just orchestrate events and circumstances in such a way that we will um, find that that fullness and joy, but it's not quite satisfying. It never quite gets there in the way that we hope and imagine that it will. Yeah, we talk about in the book that we we squat a lot in religion. We use those words. And it's almost uh, Rebecca, who I was in conversation writing the book. We I remember us just writing this on her back porch. And, and we were trying to work this part out. And I actually got in a wall sit on the, out, you know, sitting against the mm-hmm. outside of her house and said, for so long, I felt like that. Like I was doing all the right things and working hard to believe all the right things. But it was in my strength holding those things up. And that's exhausting. And there's a lot of people in the church who who are desperate to find rest. You know, we're restless mm-hmm. until we find our rest in him. And he is there. But it does require a letting go of our own 
holding up our circumstance and our understanding and really trusting the relationship that, that he offers. It's that I'm reminded of the scripture where Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for my yoke is easy and light. And we sometimes really strain at that. And it doesn't feel that way for me. It doesn't, that's not how my relationship is moving forward. And I think that's a, a signal that maybe we're not experiencing all that he has for us. Maybe our relationship isn't what's driving us. It's more orchestrating our circumstance. Yeah. In Plato's allegory, he describes the difficulty of moving from the truth that you've seen, the fiction in the cave, to the, the fullness of truth outside of the cave. And he's, he talks about how difficult that pivot is and how much harder it is, especially as we build merits and rewards for the cave. And often in culture and in the church, we build in systems that kind of reinforce and keep us in those postures that are putting the weight on us rather than the weight on God. And we're rewarded almost for the wrong things, mm -hmm. uh, for the things that are almost inhibiting us from finding our ultimate rest in him. And so there's a good conversation to be had. And that's what I think is so exciting about offering this invitation. It's why we felt like now is the time to share it is the church is having a broad conversation right now in a good conversation yeah, about yeah. who are we as a people of God and and what is life to the full? Um, and that that has to be true in us first as we enter the world. And that's a really important conversation. What made that change for you? What brought you from the, the metaphorical cave to that fullness that you write about in the book and take us on a journey to explore and walk in? Yeah. For me, I had to, it, I talk about in the, the, the book, there's a difference between being humble and being humbled. Hmm. And you can be piously humble and go to church and recite the things, as I said, but you ha you, we have to be brought to the end of ourselves and realize that he is creator and we are creature. And I talk about the fact that there needs to be a realignment, a recalibration. And that's a pretty humbling thing. And that's what had to happen to me. I had become pretty confident in my own um, ability, my own mind, even my own righteousness as I found it in the church. It was, you know, veilly cloaked, you know, thinly cloaked righteousness as a guy who attends church, but it was resting on me. Mm -hmm. And slowly I had to come face to face with the fact that I was full of quite a bit of pride and quite a bit of rebellion and be brought to the, to truly face that and face the fact that I am creature, he is creator. And it was the encounter of that truth that I would say is the difference between being humble and carrying that load on our own and being humbled, where you truly are brought low and you recognize that he, you know, Colossians talks about we were made by him and for him. Mm -hmm. And when you're face to face with that, that unsettles you and it disrupts you. But that's where I had to come. I had to have kind of the stool knocked out from under me and be reminded me that I was creature and or that I am creature and I wasn't here first uh, so that I could come face to face with him. Mm. Again, the, the phrase, we get it, but we don't have it. When you began to um, come out into the light in this more unique way and experience this fullness, was this the, the result of a point where you came to your end? Did you hear God calling in a unique way? What began that journey for you uh, from that uh, place of, of familiarity to this place of unfamiliarity and dependence that results in fullness? Yeah, it, w it quite literally was that, that whisper. And people talk about hearing from God mm -hmm. and um, different people have different ways of discussing that. For me, I was pastoring. I was in my first uh, season as a pastor. I was an associate pastor in a church. And I was doing 
a lot of doing what I thought was the work of a church. But inside, there was not a, there was not a flourishing life in me, and my relationship with God was was dry, very distant, very dry, and it was existing at a head level, and I was operating from kind of head to hands mm-hmm. without the heart and the inner transformation. And the church that I was working in, we were all laboring in that together. And I got to the point where I recognized how that was not sustainable to, for me. And not only that, but that I was not shepherding people into that easy burden and that light yoke that you described, mm-hmm. and that this is not what Jesus was talking about. And I had a crisis moment in my faith and in the church. And I went into my office at the church. I shut the door and I said, God, I think I'm done. Like, I want to be out. Mm. I cannot do this. And the best thing that I can describe is, you know, you hear that quiet voice, like at the center Mm -hmm. of your brain, and it's just God speaking and you just hear truth. And I was brought to Proverbs, the end of Proverbs, where there's no vision, the people perish. And that just rang in my head. And on the backside of that, the vision is Jesus. The vision is Jesus. It was just a whisper kind of thought. And my mom had given me a book written by a guy from England named Pete Gregg, and he wrote a poem. And at the beginning of that poem, it says, the vision is Jesus. And that just kept repeating, you know, where there's no vision that people perish, the vision is Jesus, almost like a call and response. And so I just wrestled with that. I prayed with that for a second. And our church had a vision statement on the wall and it was long and wordy and wonderful. But I just said, Jesus, you are the vision and all of those old hymns, be the center and be Mm -hmm. thou my vision. All that stuff was kind of stirred up in me in that prayer. And I just said, Jesus, you are the center and you haven't been. And if I'm going to continue, if this is going to continue, you must be the center. And so I just went to my desk and I took out four printer pages out of my printer And I wrote the vision is Jesus. And I just wrote a VU. For me, that was vision up. And then I wrote a VI and a VO. And I just resigned that day to say, I don't want to participate with anything where Jesus is not the center. Mm -hmm. And I want to look to him. I want to look more like him. And I want to look with him and see who and what and how he sees in the world. And those four pieces of paper actually became the outline for this book. And that was like 14 years ago. And so I kept those and that became my own personal way of discipleship and discipleship in my family and the way that we oriented pastoral leadership in the church. That's, that was kind of the inner DNA. And along the way, the last 14 years, I've had several people say, you should share that in a different form. You know, you've talked about it in small groups and sermons and conversations over coffee Um, but a good friend of mine came to me three years ago and said, would you write that down and helped make this possible? But it was that day really at a desperate place saying, God, I think I'm done that he answered with, I was done because I had no vision. Mm -hmm. He, he had stopped being the center for me and he needed to bring me back to that. Now, my guess is every believer who's listening would agree with everything that you've said, that Christ should be the center, that uh, that he should be our vision, but may not know how to get from mm-hmm. where we are uh, a little bit shackled into a place where we're confined by what's familiar to us and what's accepted even in our congregations to making him the focus. How do how do we make that transition? How do we begin to live out what we all agree the scripture uh, tells us is what he has in store for what uh, for us, which is so much more than most of us are experiencing? Yeah. 
It may sound so, so simple, um, but I, I really do think that it's very simple. It's not easy, but I think that it is simple in the sense that for me, I needed that return to my creaturehood, mm-hmm. to that cre- creator-creature relationship. That had to get realigned, and that had to be the starting place for relationship. Him as creator, me as a creature that he made, and that recognition that I was made by him and for him. And I, I really think, again, our culture is moving so fast, and we want really wonderful answers and, and great intellectual answers or powerful action steps that we can take. But I really think that the most powerful thing we can do is return to him as creature and come to the creator and say, I miss you. Mm-hmm. I long for you. I need you. And, and really confess. It's a, it's, we talk about it in terms of the creature confession that says, you are God and I am not. And we have to get to a place where we're honestly saying that from our heart. I think that's the starting point. That's what I found. That's what my co-author, Rebecca Sandberg, found, is that we had attached quite a bit of other armor, other things intellectually, Mm -hmm. patchwork uh, theology and culture. So it, it, it all kind of encumbered us. And we needed to let that go and come back to a starting place to say, we were made by you and for you. You are God. I am not. And if you remember like the the uh, atlas carrying the weight of the world. I talk about being alone at the center. If you can imagine with us at the center, the weight of the world is really resting on our shoulders. Which we We've were never designed to never, attempt to carry. Never, ever designed for that. But that's what we have bought culturally. And even in the church, we've started to adopt that posture. And it's just wearing us down to the point we can't breathe. And this confession of the creature is to step out of center. And it sounds so simple, but it's really freeing to say, you are God and I am not. And so here is, here are all of the things that I have been carrying on me that do not belong on my show. I was never made for that. I was made for this relationship and to find life flowing from you. And so I talk about in the book, waiting in a place until that is the honest outpouring of your heart. You mm-hmm. are God and I am not. And where we can honestly say that to him, um, because in our world, we build much and we cre- much of our world is created and controlled by us. And it's hard for us sometimes to get back to that place to remember that he is God and we are not. So. You know, what you described earlier as being really very simple but difficult, it runs counter to everything in human history, our natural bent. And yet he calls us to that kind of relief Mm. and refreshment (laughs) and relationship that is rare among us. And I think especially, as you pointed out, we have so many things constructed around us that we think we have to maintain in order to please him and to maintain our position in the church and try to maintain a reputation in the culture that we are essentially frantic and and worn out in so many ways. And I can relate to that, being feeling worn out in so many ways. And yet God is calling us to a flourishing that in the 21st century, at least in America, I think is rare. Yeah. And yet when you, when you go back to that very simple beginning, really, of our faith, where we recognize our need of him and recognize our dependence on him and that he is the one who will bear the weight of the world, uh, what a relieving uh, experience to have that carries us forward. Yeah. I have found so much. We're We're sitting in the beautiful Pacific Northwest, and so it's easy for us here, but... I have found so much joy and so much help from creation and encouragement in my own life and in the life of others to to just say, go outside and sit down on the grass 
and remember you weren't here first, mm. but but actually put yourself in nature and remember it helps us. It's it's his yes. studio. Just get out there and look up, sit down, find rest, say, you are God, I am not. And just say it over and over and over again. Just wait there until, as you describe, you feel that weight of the world transfer. And really there's this beautiful space between the lifting of the weight of the world and kind of the settling of the amazing weight of the love of God that is not a crushing weight, but it's a weight. I mean, it's a humbling weight. And to be in that space where the weight of the world's being lifted and the weight of God's love is kind of resting down upon Hmm. you, that's it. You are God, I am not. And so... If you're listening, pull over, go park, go outside. It's such a gift to get to go out there and let all of creation remind us that he is God, we are not. I'm talking with Zach Elliott, the author of Now I See, An Invitation to See to to Life to the Full. He wrote the book with Rebecca Sandberg, and I, I just love that it calls us back to Uh, The vision that we must have in order not to perish, which is an awkward way of saying it, but that vision is Jesus. But you go from there, vision up, vision in, vision out, vision, uh, the vision is Jesus. Explain that because it's an important way for us to to see the world uh, and to see our role in God's kingdom. Yeah, it's it's just such a gentle way. You used that word earlier that Jesus's invitation is really gentle. It's easy. And when we come to him, the first thing that happens is we've been talking about this primary relationship is creature creator. And so we look to him and it ha- everything has to start there because that is where that, that weight shifts. And we realize that we are not at the center and that he is God and we are not. And that really unlocks for the creature, our primary position and our primary posture, which is one of adoration. It's, we were made to, I, I say we were made to love him back. And so this is the first thing that must happen. And we, in, these things happen in sequence. It's kind of a trail. We use that trail mm-hmm. imagery. But the first thing that happens to us is we encounter this perfect love in God and we receive it and we want to love him back. And it's in that adoration that we discover that not only is that, is that our vision up, we're looking to him, but it's in that place that we recover our identity, our true identity, and we realize that same life has been given to me. And now my destiny is really to look just like him. And so I'm on this path to mature and to look more and more and more like this perfect love that I have come to find and to know. And so vision up literally comes vision in. And this is a, this is a big one for us in the church to, to have a conversation about that. This is a miracle vision in Mm -hmm. Christ in us is the hope of glory and there's a gift, again, a gift of rest that he does this. We come to him as creatures. He separated from him. He restores the relationship with us. And in that restoration, he actually puts his nature in us. He makes us new. And the, the original design of our life was to look just like him. And that's our destiny. So we look to him. We begin to look more like him. The more we live in adoration, the more our lives experience transformation. And as that transformation takes place, we talk about we talk about it in terms of love maturing. Mm-hmm. And really transformation is just our lives, his love in us maturing and maturing and maturing, leaving infancy, passing through adolescence, and reaching that really generous place of mature love, sacrificial love that he showed us in the first place. And that's the destiny from up to in. And then what what has been birthed and matured in begins to express itself out. 
and we begin to see who and what and how he sees. And that's what we describe as vision out, is seeing through this lens of mature love. And that is a beautiful thing. And it's a disruptive thing because mature love, we were just talking about this, mature love sees kind of in three dimension. It sees the good, it sees mm-hmm. the broken, and it sees the future. And it recognizes that right now those things are commingled. Mm-hmm. And so in my spouse, in my neighbor, in my enemy, in my friend, in myself, there is good, very good, that was designed and given by God. There is also deep brokenness in all of us that is different, but we share equal brokenness. It's just it, it expresses itself differently. And there is a future and a hope and a promise of wholeness for each of us. And those things are commingled. And so once we understand that, we can really find a pretty generous place where we can pull up a chair with our neighbor, our spouse, our friend. We ourselves are welcomed and we can look around and say, you are good. We are broken and there is a future and we're walking toward that. In the church, sometimes we bifurcate or we separate these things out and we try to live with that kind of vision Mm -hmm. without starting in worship and we can't do it. The middle place, that miracle of transformation flows only from him. So in the book we talk about, this is why the vision is Jesus and it's only in Jesus where we are brought into a place of worship and experiencing this radical miracle of this new life of love birthed in us. It's only in that that we're able to see the maturity that allows us to sit at that place without fear, without disgust, without scarcity, and to be able to be in a posture where we can hope for a future that's beyond our ability. And so up in out, that's a, and it's a continual loop. And what, what we say in the book is the beautiful life, the full life, this flourishing life that we've been called to, it's actually in that flow of adoration to transformation and love. And ultimately, love is poured out to the point where you have nowhere else to go but back up. Yeah. And it's a loop. Yeah. What a beautiful picture of what God intends. And it starts with that very simple thing, responding to the invitation, that voice that has been calling to come into his presence and uh, for Jesus to be the vision. Uh, what a beautiful thing. And it, it's not achieved by striving. It's not achieved by status, by the accumulation of certain things that um, somehow elevates us to the point where we can experience flourish. It's just so countercultural that it's um, it's an amazing thing. And it's the work of, of God in us. Mm-hmm. It's not what we do ourselves. Now, you um, have moved from the Pacific Northwest, pastoring in Newburgh. You now live in Florida. Ministry called you there. You love the Pacific Northwest, but because you want to be obedient to God's call, you've moved to Florida. You had an opportunity to pastor once again. Um, what are you doing now and why have you chosen not to do what's familiar to you, what um, you have done well here in the Pacific Northwest in Florida? Yeah. Well, we it was very clear that God had, had called us from Newburgh to Tampa, Florida, where we are now. And I had to recognize in that call that God was doing, he was calling me into a new season. And I was actually preaching through Exodus a few years ago when God began to move in this way. And it's unsettling. It was disruptive. And as a church planter and pastor, the first thing I wanted to do when I landed on the ground was, okay, let's get to work. Let's pastor. Let's plant. Let's find a role in a church. And we had all of those opportunities. But through great counsel, great friendship, great pastoral wisdom around us, we held to waiting on God and walking through a really disruptive season of kind of letting God birth a new thing. Mm -hmm. And the dream he had given us was to 
really um, see this idea of reformation and revival. I talked to you about that Francis, Francis Schaeffer talked about this beautiful vision of the gospel producing life and beauty in our culture. Uh, we went back and said, if that's going to take place, uh, it really is going to call for healthy and flourishing churches. And and we need to see the local church uh, healthy and alive and flourishing. And the church is a people, it's not a place, but expressed locally, those the gathering, the visible church mm-hmm. has to be healthy and flourishing. And if that's the case, at the center of that, those who are shepherding, those who are teaching, those who are guiding uh, and encouraging the church, they have to be flourishing. And so as we prayed about it and kind of looked at that big vision to see the life and beauty of the gospel in our world, we thought, well, the best work we can do is to start right there at the pastoral level. And so we have a ministry that cares for pastors, encourages pastors, and we've built a community of practice to really nurture the life of pastors in the church at the same time as we're engaging the culture with this invitation to life to the full. And we see it as a both end. You have to have that gospel continuing to go into culture and move in culture and we have to have a flourishing local church. So our ministry now is working on both of those things. Now, if you had not begun this journey that your book takes your readers through where Jesus becomes the vision, um, when the move came, do you think you might have um, said, you know, I'm not going to do what's familiar. I'm going to pastor. I'm in a church plant. That's what I do. Um, Do you think what you're doing now is the fruit of uh, stopping at that moment of crisis with the office door closed and just crying out to God and meeting him and him meeting you in a very unique way that started from that simple beginning uh, again. Do you think things might have been different? Absolutely. Yeah, I probably, well, I most certainly probably would have burned out in ministry. Mm-hmm. I can just say that with uh, completely the track that I was headed down. I would have led to what I see, unfortunately, so much with pastors who are just weary and exhausted and burdened, and they're trying out of their own strength to do the best they can. And that's probably where I would have ended up. And so being released from that, really experiencing this beautiful rest and fullness in Jesus and relationship offered me both the rest and that disruptive part of the relationship where he is first and he calls you and once we begin, the, the greater and greater we begin to trust him, the more hungry we are to follow him, even into the uncomfortable and disruptive places, because we've learned over and over and over that he is good. And there is something that we cannot see right around the corner. And we almost are so hungry for it that we say, even though I know this and it's easier in some ways to stay, I've got to see what he sees because he just has such a better mm-hmm. vantage. And we learn that over time, uh, just through simple obedience. Oswald Chambers always says, obey now. Whatever he's calling you to obey right now, because it'll lead you to that next moment where he invites you to something that you can't see. And that's what we found. Thanks for listening to Christian Outlook. Our program is coming to you today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you enjoy our podcast, take a moment and tell a friend to subscribe today. Surgeons do the incredible. They help save lives. 
And so can you by donating at CSL Plasma. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that may give the cashier from your local deli the chance to see your daughter's championship game or give your barber the chance to celebrate his golden anniversary. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and receive up to $1,000 your first month. Varies by location and is subject to change.